You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good evening. Uh, thanks for coming out tonight. It has been such a joy to be able to journey this week with you all and with John and to see you all respond to what God's doing and to see like expectancy rise and hope rise as you lean into all that God has for you. And when I say there's no greater joy for me than to see you all experience Christ, like that's just the truth. Like that's why we're here is because we want you to experience the goodness of God and to be able to catch glimpses of that and to see that happening, like, that's awesome. Like, that's the good stuff. So thank you for being here. Um, I said it last night. I just think it's important to say again, like, this isn't just like a week where you get through and you check off the box and like, holiness, check. Set apart, check. I know what I'm doing now. We do hope that you have some tools and resources and things to have conversations with, but This is the rest of your life, journeying with Jesus and journeying in surrender and journeying in community. And so we're going to talk a little bit about community tonight. And we've talked about living in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And that is the way that you live this life. But the good news is that we have to also do it together. Like God gave us one another to go further. We go further when we go together. So we're going to talk about community. And I know that that's like, you're like, great. We always talk about community. But do we? Like, we say that word a lot, and we, we say that we have community, but my guess is that a lot of us still feel alone and unknown. So we're going to look at what does intentional community look like, and what does discipleship look like for you here? And I must confess, I mean, I like Usher, so these are my confessions. Like, I haven't always liked community. Like, I liked the idea of community. I liked what, for, what community stood for. But community has not always come easy for me. Like, for a long time, I'm like, and maybe you felt this way too. Like, I'm good. Like, it's just Jesus and me. Like, we're good. I don't really need anybody else. Like, I'm a pretty independent person. So I'm like, I'm good. Like, my relationship with God's good. I'm doing my quiet time. I'm praying. I don't need anybody else. I don't need the church. And I think we, as a society, have kind of bought into that lie that it's just about me and Jesus. And your relationship with Jesus is very important. Like, you are to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You are to develop and cultivate your relationship with Jesus. And I don't remember who said this, but your relationship with Jesus is personal, but it was never meant to be private. And I think we've forgotten that part. Like, we are, we are meant to be in community, to be known, not by just God, by one another. But for good reason, right? Like we want to keep it private because we look around and we've seen all the moral failures of people in the church and people hurt people and churches are made up of people and people hurt people. And so it's like, well, I'm good. I don't need anyone else. But you see what happens is when I take myself out of the the body and I take myself out of the community, you miss out. And when you take yourself out of community and the kingdom and the body, I miss out because God has deposited his image in you and I need what he's deposited in you to help reveal more of who he is to me. So we all miss out when we don't show up for one another in the body. And I want to know who God is, so I need you to show up and reveal who he is in a different way to me. Also, community has been hard for me because 
I don't like to be vulnerable. <laughs> it's very hard for me. But the good news is, is like, it does get easier with practice. It's still hard. Can I get an amen? It's still hard. But it does get easier. And when I don't, when I'm not vulnerable, I'm not known. And when I'm not known, I can't grow. Like, if you could, like, look at my life in a timeline of, like, trying to live in community without being known, and then living in community when I am known, it's, like, a little bit of growth and, like, exponential growth over here. Like, it's, like, off the charts. Like, it hasn't been easy, and there's been, like, a lot of, like, this. But the growth and maturity that has happened in my life since I've allowed myself and chosen to be known, even in the scary, hard mess, it's ridiculous what God has unleashed in my life. And so I would just encourage you, even as we begin this message, and you're already like maybe sweating like I am, like vulnerability, you are worth risking vulnerability to be known. And I know that's scary because it's like, well, if they know that, then they might use that against me. Are they going to hold it over my head or they might shame me or judge me? And, and that might happen. I can't promise you that it won't. But most often when I've done this, it has been met with grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And to be vulnerable tonight, honestly, like, today's been a really hard day. I got a call Sunday night that one of my friends had passed away. And this morning I went to the funeral. And my heart and my head are in two different places tonight. With my friends in in Bowling Green who are grieving, me who is grieving right now, But I also want to be here with you (laughs) because this message is so important. It's so important. But the beautiful thing is that today and throughout this week, like, I haven't walked this alone. There are so many people here that have been praying for me and carrying me as I've carried you all. And other people, like, it's just like this nonstop, people are carrying me, I'm carrying you, I'm carrying my friends in Bowling Green, they're carrying me. Like, it's always a give and take. (laughs) Always a give and take. But I'll be honest, like, today's been hard. This is hard. So I know I don't typically use notes, but if you'll be gracious with me, I will probably use more notes today because I want to communicate clearly and my heart's a little all over the place. So it's just the truth. I love it. And I honestly, like, my first year here, I was in charge of women retreat, and we had a speaker, Tamara Bounds. And she was sharing from the story of Lazarus. And you know when you kind of hear a familiar story, you're like, Got it, check. Maybe that's just me. Um, but she was sharing, and she got to the point where Jesus had called Lazarus forth. He came out like, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out. And then he turns to the friends who were there at the crowd. Like, so we're guessing they're friends. And he says, take off their grave clothes. I never paid attention to that verse in my life. Jesus had just done, Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead and then he said, friends, unbound him. Take off the grave clothes. And I wonder if that's not the picture of community tonight, right? Jesus does all the raising. Like, he's the one who brings life to us. And then he says, hey, friends, help them walk in freedom. Like, take off those things that have bound them and do it together so that he can live. I mean, it'd be kind of weird to have Lazarus, like, walking around in grave clothes the rest of his life, right? And he, like, he was like this, so he couldn't really do it himself. I wonder if that's not some of what God is inviting us into. 
Like, he's the one who does the saving. He's the one who does the raising to life. And he says, hey, friends, hey, you just witnessed this. Now help him walk. Help him live. Help him live in freedom. That's what we want to look at tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 2. You thought we were going to do Lazarus. Just kidding. We're going to be Mark chapter 2. And Reverend Dave Smith, Dr. Dave Smith, like he's one of the best commentators in the book of Mark. So a lot of this is stuff that I've been studying with, with him and his studies. But he says the book of Mark is a book about discipleship from beginning to end. And so discipleship is community. And so we're going to just look at Mark chapter 2. And again, this is a familiar story. So you might be tempted to be like, check, we're good. But I wonder if you might be open to what God might have something new for us today. So let's look at Mark chapter 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such loud, large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I love when a passage says, a few days later and again. Because what happened a few days before? right? Like when you see verses like that, that have tags like that, look what happened before. So if you look at this, all three of the synoptic gospels, because this story appears in them, you kind of get a picture of what happened before Jesus came back to Capernaum. We see that he healed a leopard, a leper, and declared him clean. Like that was unheard of back then, to heal a leper and declare him clean. It says that we have all these stories of many healings, like healing many diseases. And then we see that he cast out a demon who was declaring that he was a holy one. Like things that people had not heard of. This had not happened before. This was not just like an everyday occurrence. Like this man, Jesus, had come and things were different. Things were different. Needless to say, curiosity was rising. And when people become curious, guess what? You begin to talk. When I, like, eat some good food, I'm, like, telling everybody about it. I, lo- I love the chosen. All my friends know that I love the chosen, right? Because when something happens, when you get curious about something, you begin to tell everyone about it. So we see that a large crowd has formed. Like, such a large crowd that it's not just, like, in the room, but it's, like, spilling out of the room and out of the, out of the room. And I don't know, like, when the last time you were in a crowd was, but my guess is you remember it, right? Because... There's sounds and feelings and smells um, that you have when you're in a crowd. My guess is you have a picture right now of the last time you were in a crowd. Now, I, I don't mind crowds. I don't like crowds. But there's always a moment when I'm like, yep, I'm out. Like, I've had, like if I had enough. And I think probably in this moment when it's spilling out of the house, out of, out of the outer house and out, out, like I'd be like, I'm done, right? But curiosity kept them there. And I wonder, like, what are you curious about when it comes to God? Right? Like, are you curious about the things that God is doing? Is your curiosity rising as we've talked about being set apart this week? Why do you think they came? 
Like, were they expecting to see a miracle? Maybe. We don't know. But whatever it was, they came. And then we have the appearance of these men. Four men and carrying a mat and a man on a mat. Nameless men. We don't know who these men were. But let's look at these two categories of men. Or women, but here it's a man. Like, think about this man on a mat. Like, there is no way that he would have ever been able to be a part of this crowd or get to Jesus if it were not for his friends. Like, his whole life was based on a mat. Like, he was completely and utterly dependent on someone else for his provision, for his food, for his finances. Like, his whole life had been confined to a space about this big. Completely and utter dependent. And in biblical times, not only was he dependent, but anytime there was a physical illness, people automatically equated that with sin. Either his sin or the sin of his family. But this man had been known as a sinner. No fault of his own. Paralyzed man. But his identity had been rooted in his mat. And his mat let them know that he was a sinner. We talked a lot about identity the other night. Those things that have formed us and shaped us, the names that we have been called. And this man would have been utterly aware of his sinfulness. Or what he thought was his sinfulness. I wonder what places our mats have become our own identity as well. You see, in case you didn't know, we all have a mat. And I know that's pretty obvious. And you're like, yep, check. Already, already done that lesson. Again, let's, let's, let's settle into this. I don't know if you've ever read the book John Ortberg wrote, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Right? Like, you think I'm normal, and then you get to know me. You're like, nope. Because I have quirks, and I have issues, and um, everybody's like, oh, you're quiet. And then I get to know me, and I'm like, nope. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. So you should put it on your reading list. But he says this. Everybody has a mat. Let the mat stand as a picture of human brokenness and imperfection. It's the what's not normal about me. Sometimes people spend their whole life doing mat management, and they pretend that they don't have a mat. I wonder if you've been there, pretending that you don't have a mat. Maybe it's a sin, a secret in your life. Maybe it's something that's happened to you, trauma. Maybe something else somebody else did to you. Regardless of what your mat is or my mat is, we all have them. And what we don't see in this story, but we have to acknowledge that it happened, is that at some point, this man who was on the mat chose to acknowledge that he actually had a mat. Like, okay, that was a lot of mats. What, just, what did you say? Like, at some point, this man had to realize that he was dependent on his mat. And if he wanted to see Jesus, he actually had to acknowledge his dependency. Like, he was, like, that was his life. He had a mat. Otherwise, he would have said, nope, just keep walking. I'm good. I'm okay. Like, I don't need Jesus. Like, I've begged my whole life. I can just keep doing it. But in his acknowledgement, it actually freed him up for someone else to pick up his mat. That's hard to do, right? Like, 
I can be aware that I have a mat, but please don't let me acknowledge that to you. It was the summer before my senior year, and I was at Indian Springs camp meeting, and it was one night, and I was a counselor, and this other person was actually another worker at camp, and we were sitting on the swing, and she starts sharing her story. And I don't know if you've ever had this moment when someone's sharing your, their story, and you realize, like, their story is your story, and that you start getting hot and sweaty, and it was already a thousand degrees outside because it's Georgia, and I'm just, like, sweating bullets, and I'm, like, hoping she doesn't notice, and I'm just looking straight because I'm, like, I can't make eye t- contact because what if she talks to me? Like, what if she says, like, what about you? And she gets to the story, her story, and then she said, I don't know. What do you think? Have you ever felt like that? And I mean, I thought I was going to throw up. Because I had a choice. Like, I would never talked about this part of my story. And I remember sitting there just thinking, what do I do? Like, I have a choice to make. Like, I can say, yes, I know what you're talking about. Or I can just keep doing what I've always been done and just keep it to myself and shove it further down. And I remember in that moment, like, between, like, wanting to throw up and pass out, I got out the words, me too. That was it. Like, that was all I could say in that moment. Me too. I actually didn't say anything else the rest of the night. Like, I couldn't. Like, that was literally all the strength I had was to say those two words. But that acknowledgement, again, unleashed incredible healing and freedom in my life. There was no judgment. There was no shame. There was no throwing rocks. There was grace upon grace upon grace me too. Some of the most powerful words that I've ever said because of what God did in that acknowledgement of my own mat. I wonder who knows your weaknesses? Who knows your pain? Who knows those places of struggle? And who loves you enough to not let you stay there? John Ortberg says, If you want strong friendship, you can't always be the strong one. If you want strong friendship, you can't always be the strong one. I need to hear that. You see, I learned a long time ago, if you ask good questions and you listen really well, nobody really asks you about yourself. It was a good coping mechanism because I didn't want to be known, right? It was scary. So if I just became really good at asking questions and a really good listener, then not that they were trying to not ask me, they just didn't think about it. But the reality is, I can't always be the strong one. I'm not always the strong one. If you want strong friendship, you can't always be the strong one. Sometimes you have to let someone else carry your mat. Sometimes you have to let someone else carry your mat. It's the story of me on the swing, right? Like, in my me too, I allowed someone else to help carry my mat. In the next year of my life, my senior year here at Asbury was completely different because even though I didn't say anything else the rest of the night, she did. And even though my journey wasn't exactly her journey and her journey wasn't exactly my journey, she shared with me some things that she had done to seek healing and freedom. And you better believe I was taking notes. Not physically, because I was on a swing in 1,000 degrees, but in my head, I was taking notes. And that year, I did everything that she said she had done. I told someone who lived close to me. I got into counseling, 
and I gave myself grace. Those three things changed my life. Changed my life. Because I acknowledged that I had a mat, and I allowed someone else to help carry my mat. And then when I told someone who lived close to me, which was actually more terrifying because this person didn't live close to me, but this person I saw a lot, that makes you want to throw up, right? <laughs> I have to see you every day. If you want strong friendship, you don't always have to be the strong one. Think about these friends. As they carried their friend, there were obstacles along the way. Right? Friendship and community, there's going to be obstacles. This obstacle is like they have to like carry their friend through the crowd, up a house, onto the roof, destroy a roof. Like, lots of obstacles, right? Like, journeying and carrying someone's mat isn't necessarily going to be easy. And it will cost you something. Both the person on the mat and the people carrying your mat. But this isn't like a, okay, I'm going to carry this person and I'm going to fix them and I'm going to make them better. This is like, hear this. This is like carrying them to Jesus. This isn't you picking up their story and, and wearing it like a badge or, again, making someone else a project. This is you carrying them to Jesus, no matter the obstacles. Like, I'm an Enneagram one. So the, the minute someone's like, hey, yo, we're going to, like, destroy this person's roof, I'd be like, not today. Like, we'll find another way around. But they they knew what getting their friend to Jesus could do, and they did it anyway. What obstacles are keeping you from Jesus? And what obstacles do you need to tell your mat carriers about so that you don't get stuck? So it's not just about obstacles when you're carrying, but what do you need to know what do they need to know about you that may be obstacles along the way? A few years ago, my dad bought a new car. And I don't know if you've been in a new car. You probably have. But it has, like, all the bells and whistles. Like, it'll tell you when you're about to hit the car in front of you, when there's a blind spot over here. Like, when you start to, like, drift, it'll beep. And my dad used to commute to work and so before COVID. And so we, I would talk to him a lot on his commute. And, sorry, Dad, but, like, it dinged all the time. Like, he, he's a drifter, right? Like, he's, like, over here, over here, because he, like, talks and looks, and I'm like, dude, like, just drive straight. He does it, sorry. But mat carriers are our beepers, right? Like, they let us know when we're drifting. They tell us when we can't, when we have a blind spot. We got to have beepers, or Matt Carriers, whatever you want to call them. But we have to have those people in our lives that say, hey, you're getting out of bounds. Or hey, you're not a, you might not be aware of this, but hey, look over here, there's a blind spot. I'm, some, of, some of my beepers are in this room. And I'm so grateful for them because they have kept me walking by the Spirit. A couple years ago in my band with, with Jess over there, I was in a season where I was saying yes to a lot of good things and was busy and traveling all the time and just running at like both ends of the, the candle. Is that what you call it? I don't know. I was like go, too much, right? And you get that here at Asbury. Like you say yes to a lot of really good things and you're busy people. And I remember them, them saying to me, hey, like we think you need to say no to a couple of things. 
Like, you're getting kind of irritable and grumpy, and I didn't like that. Like, I just didn't, right? Like, nobody really likes that when your friend's like, hey, you're grumpy and irritable. And they said, hey, like, why don't you bring your schedule next time, and, like, let's look at it and see what you can say no to. I'm like, uh, no. Because <laughs> these are really good godly things, right? But I knew that they had my best interest at heart, and we've been traveling together for a long time, and I could trust them. So if they were actually telling me the truth, then I should listen. But I'm a people pleaser, so there's no way I was going to say no. But together in community, when I brought my schedule and we looked at it, and we looked at things that I could say no to, I became stronger. Because it was like, oh, okay. Like my friends are seeing this. They're calling it out in me. I want to, like, I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good follower of Jesus. And if, if I'm out of bounds here, if I'm, my beepers are going off, like, maybe I should pay attention. And so I had to call some people and say no to some engagements that I had already said yes to. And that was hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. That was not easy. But it saved me from burning out and getting irritable and grumpy and, like, being cynical. Because when I'm out of bounds, that's what I tend to get, cynical. Who are those people who are your beepers? Mad carriers, they have this crazy thing, expectant faith. Expectant faith, right? Like those people who were carrying their friend on a mat, like there had to be some kind of expectation. If we do this crazy thing, like if we make it through the crowd, if we climb on the roof, if we destroy the roof, like something must happen. Like they didn't know that it wasn't a guarantee, but they had heard what Jesus could do and they took him at his word for what he will do expectant faith. I wonder, like, what kind of expectant faith and prayers are you praying for your friends? Like, we don't often think about that, right? Like, well, God bless Jess. God, I hope you do this for Troy. What are you willing to risk by your expectant faith so that your friend can meet Jesus? I told you about this funeral this morning. The reason I know this family is because they lost their son when I worked at a church about 12 years ago. And I don't know if you've ever been in like the ER when someone gets the news. It's sounds that you'll never forget, right? And their son was 22. He came home from college, took a nap, never woke up. And I was working with a youth in college. And I'm not much older than them, a couple years older. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm supposed to know what to do here. <laughs> and I didn't. We have this hurting family, and their daughter was in the youth group, and then I have this group of college students who are hurting too that just lost their friend. And I, like, knew them the least. I'd just been there a couple months. But we knew we had to do something, right? So the college students and myself, we just decided, all right, every Thursday night we're going to show up. We're going to show up for this family, and I remember the first Thursday that we did this, getting to the door and thinking, what am I going to say? Like, they just lost their son. Like, what in the world do I have as a 20, I think I was 25 maybe at the time. What, do, like, what in the world do I have to offer? And the Lord's like, just be present. Just be present. 
And so for almost two years, every Thursday, we showed up at this house. A lot of times we didn't say anything. We ate together, we began to talk some, we cry, we laugh. But we knew that if we kept showing up, Jesus might show up too. That's expectant faith. We weren't doing anything, we were just being present. But God used our expectancy and our presence to carry our friends to Jesus. So the husband of that couple died this last Sunday. They had gone away for the anniversary of their son Alex's death was on Friday. They had gone away for the weekend to remember his life and were coming home and he had a heart aneurysm and died. Like, and I don't have answers for that, right? Like, why did that happen? Why did that happen to this couple? Why did it have that happen on that timing? But that's the crazy thing about, <laughs> like, this walk. Like, I can hold that intention, the whys and the questions, with the reality that I trust in who God is. And I don't know why this happened. Never will. But I know who he is in this situation. And expectant faith says, I can show up for my friends and carry them in these days, in these moments, not having to say anything, but trusting in who God says he is and what he says he will do. He will meet them. He will meet them just as he will meet me. And as they lower their friend down to Jesus, Jesus says this crazy thing. He sees the friend's faith, the faith of the friends, and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Like, didn't consider the, the, the person who was on the mat. It was the faith of the friends that caused Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. Like, that is nuts. Like, that goes against everything that we've ever been taught about salvation, right? Like, it's about me. Jesus saw the faith of their friends. When I said it's important who you do life with, this is why. This person, this man, this paralyzed man experienced salvation and healing because of his friends. Because of his friends. That is what God can do in friendship. So when I say, what are you expecting God to do in your friendship? What kind of faith are you praying? In pr- what are you praying for your friends? It's because God says, looked at the friends and said, son, your sins are forgiven. And if you don't have that kind of community, start being that community. There have been times when I moved to different places where I didn't have the kind of community that I wanted, but I started praying and becoming that community to other people. Your friends are important. You're important. And your faith might just change the life of your friend. He looked at the friend, the faith of the friends, and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. So as we close our time tonight, I wonder what might be stirring in you. Maybe it's your own mat. 
that thing that you've never really talked about, Mm. that thing that has defined you and identified you for your whole life, that sin, that trauma, that pain, that wound, and that has become your entire identity. And I wonder tonight if maybe for you, you just need to acknowledge that you have that, that you have a mat. And see what Jesus wants to do with your mat. My guess is probably what he did for that man. and said, take up your mat and walk. Take up your mat and go in freedom. Or maybe today you're like, yeah, I, I just need some, some mat carriers in my life. Like, I, I know that I have a mat, but I don't really know anyone who's carrying my mat. And like, maybe your prayer and your cry tonight is, God, show me who can help carry my mat. Or maybe tonight, like, you have mat carriers, you're aware of your mat, but, like, your faith is increasing for what God needs to do in your friends or what you need God to do in your friends. And maybe tonight you just need to cry out on behalf of your friends because your faith can change their life. I don't know. He does. Just respond to him. We're going to sing a couple songs and then the altar's open. If your friends are here, pray as a friend group. There's others of us who we love to pray with you about whatever it is that God has in your heart. But don't leave tonight without responding to however he's asking you to respond.